The Keys Dan Show. It's the Keys Dan Show. I need a new theme for the Keys Dan Show. You might learn stuff. You might hear jokes. You never know what you're going to get on the Keys Dan Show. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. What's up, party people? It's Keys Dan, RadioWhat.com, DJLittleRock.com, coming to you live and in a living color from the Radio What Studios. And this is my podcast, The Keys Dan Show. If you want to tell your story, I encourage you to check out my other podcast, What Makes You Famous. Find it everywhere using the hashtag What Makes You Famous. It's easy. Tell your story. Now on with the show. Today on the program, a little history. You know I like a little history. And if you like the sound of my voice, perhaps you'll learn something with me. Today's subject, Operation Obviate. Operation Obviate was an unsuccessful British air raid of World War II that targeted the German battleship Tirpitz. It was conducted by Royal Air Force Heavy Bombers on the 29th of October, 1944, and sought to destroy the damaged battleship after she moved to a new anchorage near Tromso in northern Norway. The attack followed up the successful Operation Paravane on the 15th of September, 1944, when Tirpitz was crippled by British heavy bombers. As Allied intelligence was unaware that the battleship could no longer operate at sea and warships needed elsewhere were being retained in British waters to counter her, it was decided to make another attack. After a period of planning and preparations, 38 British bombers and a film aircraft departed from bases in northern Scotland during the early hours of the 29th of October. The attack took place that morning, but was frustrated by clouds over the Tromso area, which made it difficult for Allied airmen to accurately target Tirpitz. The battleship was not directly hit, but was damaged by a bomb that exploded near her hull. A British bomber made a crash landing in Sweden after being hit by German anti-aircraft fire, and several others were damaged. The Allies remained committed to sinking turbots after the failure of Operation Obviate. The plans for the attack were reused for the next raid on the battleship, Operation Catechism, which took place on the 12th of November, 1944. Weather conditions were favorable for the attackers, and Tirpitz was sunk with heavy loss of life. Let's take you through the background. From early 1942, the German battleship Tirpitz posed a significant threat to the Allied convoys transporting supplies through the Norwegian Sea to the Soviet Union. Stationed in fjords on the Norwegian coast, the ship was capable of overwhelming the close escort forces assigned to the Arctic convoys. Tirpitz could also potentially attempt to enter the North Atlantic to attack Allied convoys traveling to the United Kingdom, as her sister ship, Bismarck, had sought to do in May of 1941. To counter these threats, the Allies needed to keep a powerful force of warships with the British home fleet, 
and capital ships accompanied most convoys part of the way to the Soviet Union. Tirpitz was repeatedly attacked by British forces. Royal Air Force heavy bombers made four unsuccessful raids on the battleship between January and April of 1942, while she was stationed at Fattenfjord. From March 1943, Tirpitz was based at Katfjord in the far north of Norway. During Operation Source on the 22nd of September 1943, she was severely damaged by explosives placed on her hull by Royal Navy personnel who had used midget submarines to penetrate Katfjord. On the 3rd of April 1944, aircraft flying from Royal Navy aircraft carriers attacked Tirpitz during Operation Tungsten and inflicted further damage. This attack had been timed for when it was believed repairs to rectify the damage caused by Operation Source were nearing completion. A series of subsequent aircraft carrier attacks, including Operation Mascot on the 17th of July and Operation Goodwood between the 22nd and 29th of August, were unsuccessful. As it was believed that further aircraft carrier raids would be fruitless due to shortcomings with the Royal Navy's aircraft and their armament, responsibility for sinking Tirpitz was transferred to the RAF's Bomber Command. On the 15th of September, 1944, the Elite Numbers 9 and 617 squadrons attacked the battleship at Kafjord during what was designated Operation Paravane. This operation employed Avro Lancaster, heavy bombers armed with Tallboy bombs and Johnny Walker mines, and was mounted from Yagudnik in the Soviet Union. Tirpitz was struck by a single Tallboy, which caused extensive damage to her bow and rendered her unfit for combat. Here's a little prelude. A meeting involving Grand Admiral Karl Donitz, the commander of the German Navy, was held in Berlin on the 23rd of September to discuss Tirpitz. Donitz was informed that it would take nine months to repair the ship and that all the work had to be done at Katfjord, as the battleship would be extremely vulnerable if she tried to sail to a major port, as Soviet forces were rapidly advancing towards northern Norway at that time. Donitz judged that it was not feasible to either return the ship to the ocean-going service or retain her at Kafjord. Instead, he decided to use Tirpitz as a floating artillery battery to defend the town of Tromso against amphibious landings and bolster a defensive line which was being prepared in the Lingford area. Donitz also expressed hope that retaining the ship in commission would, quote, continue to tie down enemy forces and by her presence confound the enemy's intentions, end quote. The commander of the German Navy's task force in northern Norway, Conta Admiral Rudolf Peters, was directed to position Tirpitz at a location near Tromso, where the water was shallow enough to prevent the battleship from sinking completely if she suffered further damage. An anchorage was selected just off the coast of, of the small island of Hakoya, 
3.5 miles west of Tromso. This location lacked the natural defenses Tirpitz had enjoyed at her previous Norwegian bases, where she had sheltered in fjords, which had steep mountains rising from the sea. This had made it difficult for attacking aircraft to spot and target the battleship. Instead, the terrain around Hakoya was fairly flat, and it was near the sea. To prepare the Tirpitz for the 170-mile voyage southwest, a repair ship was sent to Kapjord and helped the battleship's crew to weld steel plates over the hole in her hull. The Allies were able to confirm that Tirpitz had been badly damaged during Operation Paravane from intelligence gained by photo reconnaissance, signals, intelligence, and Norwegian agents, but were unsure if this had permanently put her out of service. The decision made by Donitz on the 23rd of September was also not known. As a result, the Royal Navy continued to assign capital ships to the home fleet to guard against the prospect of Tirpitz putting to sea, despite the need to redeploy these ships to the Pacific to reinforce attacks on Japanese forces. Tirpitz's voyage to Tromso took place during the 15th and 16th of October. The battleship departed Catchfjord at noon local time on the 15th of October under the escort of several warships. While Tirpitz was able to move under her own power, the flotilla included ocean-going tugboats tasked with towing the battleship if her damaged bow broke off. The German force slowly proceeded south and Tirpitz eventually arrived at her berth off Hakoya at 3 p.m. on the 16th of October. Soon after reaching Hakoya, 600 sailors, mostly members of her engine room crew, were removed from the ship. This left about 1,700 sailors on board. The Allies rapidly responded to Tirpitz's redeployment. Norwegian Secret Intelligence Service agents in the Katfjord and Tromso areas provided reports during the battleship's journey. Eigel Lindbergh, radioing the United Kingdom on the 16th of October to confirm the ship's arrival there. In response to these reports, the British aircraft carrier HMS Implacable was dispatched from the home fleet's main base at Scapa Flow on the 16th of October, tasked with confirming the location of the Tirpitz. The RAF was also instructed to fly photo-reconnaissance sorties over the Tromso area as a precaution in case Tirpitz was able to conduct combat operations. The battleship HMS King George V was diverted from an impending deployment to the Indian Ocean to reinforce the home fleet until its sole battleship, Duke of York, completed repairs. British reconnaissance aircraft located Tirpitz during the afternoon of the 18th of October. The first aircraft to arrive over the area was a de Havilland Mosquito from the number 540 Squadron RAF operating out of RAF Dice in Scotland. The Mosquito's crew took photographs of the battleship from a high altitude and returned to its base despite being damaged by anti-aircraft guns. Shortly afterwards, Implacable's Ferry Firefly aircraft reconnoitered the Tromso area, 
several taking low-altitude photographs of Tirpitz off Akoya. These aircraft were also fired on by the German anti-aircraft guns, but none were damaged. During the evening of the 18th of October, Implaceable's commander sought permission to attack Tirpitz the next day, but this was refused by the commander of the home fleet, Admiral Bruce Fraser, on the grounds that the carrier had sailed without any of the supermarine Seafire aircraft needed to suppress the anti-aircraft guns. Fraser was also aware from the attacks on Tirpitz at Catfjord that the carrier's two squadrons of Ferry Barracuda dive bombers would probably not be able to inflict significant damage and that further raids by RAF heavy bombers were required. Preparations British The RAF began preparations to attack Tirpitz again immediately after she was confirmed to be at Tromso. As the Tromso area was within range of Lancaster's flying from northern Scotland, if they were fitted with extra fuel tanks and other modifications, this operation would be simpler to conduct than Operation Paravane. Nevertheless, it required a lengthy return flight of 2,252 miles. Numbers 9 and 617 squadrons, Lancasters, were modified to extend their range. All of the aircraft selected for the operation were fitted with powerful Rolls-Royce Merlin 24 engines, which were hurriedly sourced from maintenance units and airfields across the UK. The Lancasters also carried two extra fuel tanks inside their fuselage, a tank usually fitted to Vickers Wellington bombers and a type of drop tank used by mosquitoes. The extra fuel put the aircraft greatly above their authorized maximum takeoff weight. To address this, the bomber's forward and mid-upper gun turrets were removed, along with 3,000 rounds of ammunition from the rear turret. The flare chute, the armor plating around the pilot's seat, and some of the oxygen and nitrogen bottles. The reduction in armament left the Lancasters very vulnerable to German fighter aircraft, and they would have to fly without an escort as no British fighters had sufficient range to reach Tromso. The operational order for the attack on Tirpitz was issued by Number 5 Group on the 24th of October. It specified that the battleship was to be attacked by 36 Lancasters. Numbers 9 and 617 squadrons, each contributing 18. Another Lancaster from number 463 squadrons, RAAF's film unit, would also take part but not carry any bombs. As the Johnny Walker mines had failed during Operation Paravane, only tall boy bombs were to be used, each bomber carrying one of the weapons. These 12,000-pound bombs were the largest in service with the RAF and were capable of penetrating heavily armored targets. The two squadrons were to remain at their home bases until it was judged that weather conditions over Tromso were likely to be suitable. They would then be bombed up and fly to RAF Kinloss, RAF Lossiemouth, 
and RAF Milltown in northern Scotland. The operational order stated that the attack was required as, quote, it appears likely that the Germans may attempt to get the battleship back to a base in Germany where the necessary repairs and refit can be carried out, end quote. After the decision was made to launch the attack, the bombers were to fly individually across the Norwegian Sea and cross the Norwegian coast at a point between the towns of Mosjoen and Namos, where the number 100 Group RAF had found a gap in German radar coverage. The Lancasters were to rendezvous over Tonarask Lake in northern Sweden. This flight path involved violating Sweden's neutrality, but was selected as it would allow the bombers to approach Tromso from the southeast, which it was believed the Germans would not expect. After the rendezvous was completed, and if weather conditions remained suitable, the bombers would proceed to Tromso and attack Tirpitz. If she could be visually spotted or, if obscured, her location confirmed relative to unobstructed landmarks. If these criteria were not met, the aircrew were to not bomb. Following the attack on Tirpitz, the bombers were to fly directly back to Scotland. Group Captain Colin McCullen was selected to command the ground crew and aircrew ahead of the start of the attack, a role he had also played in Operation Paravane. The commanders of the two squadrons, Wing Commanders James Brazen, number 9 squadron, and Willie Tate, number 617 squadron, would control their units in the air. The attack was designated Operation Obviate. Preparations were also made to recover aircraft or crews if any of the bombers ran short of fuel or suffered battle damage. RAF Sumberg in the Shetland Islands was selected as the emergency airfield for the return journey from Tromso. If any of the bombers experienced engine problems or lacked sufficient fuel to return to the UK, they were to proceed to the Soviet airfields at Venega or Yagodnik. The Soviet government was not informed of this until the 29th of October, the day of the attack. Number 5 Group also requested that three Royal Navy destroyers be stationed along the return route to Tromso to rescue the crews of any bombers forced down over the Norwegian Sea. The British were able to draw on two intelligence sources other than photo reconnaissance flights to monitor the German forces at Tromso. Lindbergh was based in the town and provided updates on Tirpitz by radio as Lindbergh worked in the local meteorological office. He also regularly reported on weather conditions. The other source of intelligence was German radio signals decrypted by Allied codebreakers. Preparations on the German side. Tirpitz was particularly vulnerable to attack in the period immediately after she arrived at Hakoya. None of the many smoke generators and anti-aircraft guns which had protected her against air attack at Cap Yord were initially available because they had not been shipped south. The only protection available was from the battleship's own armament, two flagships anchored nearby. 
and several anti-aircraft batteries in the Tromso area. British intelligence believed that there were 16 heavy and 16 light anti-aircraft guns in the area at the time of Operation Obviate. The battleship was also surrounded by torpedo nets. No fighter aircraft were stationed nearby. The depth of water below Tirpitz at her mooring was greater than anticipated, leaving the ship vulnerable to capsizing. Due to the space needed by the torpedo nets, it was not possible to move Tirpitz closer to the shore. Instead, work began on building up the seabed using earth and gravel two weeks after she reached Hakoya. The battleship's crew expected further air attacks and doubted she would survive them. This and a belief that Germany would lose the war led to poor morale. The civilian population of Tromso also expected air attacks after Tirpitz arrived and were concerned about the prospect of their town being accidentally bombed. And now the attack. Departure. On the 26th of October, Bomber Command advised the Admiralty that Operation Obviate would commence as soon as weather conditions permitted after the night of the 27th of October. Number 5 Group also informed the two squadrons that day to make final preparations for the mission. This included loading the tall boy bombs. In the evening of the 27th of October, the aircrew selected for Operation Obviate were briefed on the plan and told they would proceed to the Scottish airfields the next morning. During the morning of the 28th of October, 20 Lancasters from each of the squadrons flew from their home bases to Kinloss, Lossiemouth, and Milltown. A photo reconnaissance mosquito flew over Tromso that morning and confirmed that Tirpitz was still moored off Hakoya and that weather conditions remained favorable for an attack. As forecasts for the next day indicated that good weather would continue, the attack was set for the 29th of October. Another mosquito flew over the Tromso area at midnight on the 28th of October and reported that conditions remained clear. The strike force departed Scotland in the early hours of the 29th of October. Number 9 Squadron dispatched 20 Lancasters, the aircraft taking off between 1.18 and 2.55 a.m. British Standard Time. Number 617 Squadron contributed 19 aircraft, which departed between 1.03 and 2.10 a.m. British Standard Time. The number 463 Squadron Lancaster accompanied the attack aircraft. Now, over Tromso. The approach flight was uneventful. The aircraft flew individually across the Norwegian Sea at an altitude of 1,500 feet and began climbing to 10,000 feet after they crossed the Norwegian coast. One of the number nine squadron aircraft experienced engine problems during the climb and returned to the UK. The bombers rendezvoused over Tornestrask Lake, formed up into their attack formations, and proceeded to Tromso. During this flight, the Lancasters 
climb to their bombing altitudes of between 13,000 and 16,000 feet. The attack force was fired on by Swedish anti-aircraft guns when it passed over the town of Abisko, but no hits were recorded. The attack on Tirpitz was frustrated by cloud cover. While the weather continued to be fine during the approach to Tromso, the British airmen found that the area around the town was mainly covered by cloud. Tirpitz was visible when the bombers first arrived over the Tromso area, but was obscured before any of them were in position to release their bombs. Despite the orders to bring their tall boys back, if visual bombing was not possible, almost all of the bombers attacked. Historian Patrick Bishop has written that this was due to an unwillingness to make the long return flight carrying a 12,000-pound bomb. The first bombs were dropped at 7.49 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Number 617 Squadron leading the attack. 16 aircraft from the squadron-released Tallboys aimed at Tirpitz's estimated position. Several making multiple bomb runs before attacking. One of the three Lancasters, which did not bomb, made four runs over Tromso before Tate gave its pilot permission to break off the attack. Number 9 Squadron began its attack six minutes after its sister squadron, 17 Lancasters, dropping Talboys. Like number 617 Squadron, several aircraft from number 9 Squadron made multiple bomb runs over Tromso, one conducting five approaches before attacking. At least two of the number 9 Squadron crews were able to visually aim at Tirpitz through gaps in the cloud. The others aimed at the battleship's estimated position. Of the two number 9 Squadron aircraft which did not bomb, one made two passes over Tromso. The final bomb was dropped at 8.07 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time. The German defenders began firing on the British aircraft as they approached Tippets. Four number 9 Squadron Lancasters, at least one from 617 Squadron, and the number 463 Squadron film aircraft were damaged by anti-aircraft fire. The number 617 Squadron Lancaster lost so much fuel from two hits that its pilot judged that the aircraft would not be able to reach RAF Sumberg or the USSR. Instead, he decided to put down in northern Sweden so that the crew could avoid being made prisoners of war. The aircraft made a crash landing in a bog near Porges. All of the crew survived and were eventually repatriated to the UK by the Swedish government. The damage inflicted on the other Lancasters was not significant. None of the tall boys struck Tirpitz. Several landed in the water near her. The explosion of one of these bombs damaged the battleship's port side propeller shaft and rudder and caused flooding. Three of her crew were injured. The explosions from the huge bombs were felt by civilians in Tromso. The Aftermath Most of the Lancaster's return flights were uneventful, all returning to the UK after completing flights 
of an average of 13 hours. A number 617 squadron aircraft made an emergency landing at RAF Sumberg after running short of fuel. This was one of the Lancasters that had not released its tall boy. The damaged number 463 squadron aircraft successfully landed on one wheel at RAF Waddington. The airmen were aware that Tirpitz had not been sunk and were disappointed with the operation's results. Number 5 Group Commanders, Air Commodore Ralph Cochran, sent them a message stating, quote, Congratulations on your splendid flight and perseverance. Luck won't always favor the Tirpitz. One day you'll get her. End quote. Allied intelligence soon learned that Tirpitz had been only slightly damaged. A mosquito conducted a photo reconnaissance flight over the Tromso area at 12.10 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time on the 29th of October. Its photos showed no visible damage to the battleship. German post-battle reports broadcast by radio, which were intercepted and decoded, confirmed that damage was limited to the propeller, shaft, and rudder. Lindbergh recommended that the RAF, quote, give her another salvo, end quote, in one of his reports. The Germans believed that several Lancasters had been shot down in the attack. Tirpitz's crew attributed the failure of Operation Obviate to their ship's gunnery. This led to improved morale. They expected that further attacks would be made and were frustrated that Luftwaffe fighters had not been available to protect the battleship. A force of 38 fighters was transferred to Bardufos after Operation Obviate bolstered the region's air defenses. The British remained determined to sink Tirpitz as soon as possible. Shortly after the 29th of October raid, it was decided to use the same plans as had been employed in Operation Obviate in the next attack, which was designated Operation Catechism. On the 12th of November, numbers 9 and 617 squadrons set out from northern Scotland again. The weather over the Tromso area was clear, and when they arrived, and Tirpitz was hit by two tall boy bombs, the damage from these bombs and several near misses caused the battleship to capsize. Between 940 and 1204 of her crew were killed. That's the story of Operation Obviate, which was held on the 29th of October, 1944. Thanks for sticking with me on the Keys Dan Show. If you'd like to tell your story, I encourage you to check out my other podcast, What Makes You Famous. Find it everywhere using the hashtag, What Makes You Famous. That's it for this episode of the Keys Dan Show. It's Keys Dan, RadioWhat.com, DJLittleRock.com. Peace. I'm out of here.